Well, good morning, everyone. Happy, happy Palm Sunday, the, Jesus, the day Jesus rode in Jerusalem to the hosannas and the shouts of the crowd. We're so glad that you're here. You know, this is a very special week. There's something special every day. Today is Palm Sunday. Tomorrow is invite someone to Easter Monday. Tuesday is I'll stop by and pick you up Tuesday. You getting the theme here? Wednesday is uh, you can watch online Wednesday. You know, Thursday, you can kind of make that up. But uh, obviously, Good Friday service, 7 o'clock this uh, coming Friday, and then the extravaganza on Saturday, and then a glorious Resurrection Sunday on Easter. We hope you can be a part of as much of that as is possible and uh, invite people to be a part of that as well. You know, one of the ways I like to prepare for Easter, and I do this every year, is I, I like to walk through the last week of Jesus' life and the last 24 hours of Jesus' life in my mind, in my spirit, in my heart. If you've been around BCA for any length of time, you uh, will recall me doing this before. But I want to just do that with you here for a few moments. You know, on the Friday before Palm Sunday, Jesus makes his way to Bethany, and he celebrates, prepares for the Sabbath with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they gather, and they eat together, and then on Saturday, they... Uh, uh, recognize the Sabbath, and Sunday morning he gets up and he makes his way to Jerusalem. He finds a white cold, he jumps on the back, he rides into Jerusalem, and he hears the crowd screaming, Hosanna, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he makes his way in a joyous atmosphere into Jerusalem. And whenever I think of that, I think to myself, oh, how things change, because in just five short days, he left Jerusalem, this time carrying a cross, his own cross. On Monday, the Bible says he traveled uh, to the temple, and uh, he drove people out of the temple. He cleaned, cleansed the temple. Remember that story in the Bible? On Tuesday, he moved about Jerusalem teaching parables and, and uh, offering uh, wisdom and, and uh, insights to people. Wednesday, the scripture's a little bit silent, probably a day of rest. And then Thursday, of course, preparation for the Passover. And then that evening, he celebrated the Passover, the Last Supper with his disciples. On Friday, he was crucified on a cross after being arrested in Gethsemane. And he was laid in the tomb before 6 o'clock when Sabbath began that evening where he stayed on Saturday and then of course, the glorious event, the resurrection event that we all celebrate and will next Sunday with great fervor, Resurrection Day. Think about the last 24 hours, too, for a moment. Now, scholars say from about 6 till 10 is probably when the Last Supper took place. And about 10 o'clock, he left their meeting place and he went out one of the southeastern gates. He crossed the Kidron Valley and he has made his way up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, uh, at about 1 o'clock, he began to pray. And the Bible says that he sweat drops of blood. He was aware of what was going to take place. He, he, he was anxious about what was going to take place. And about 1.30 or so, Judas came on the scene, betrayed him. He was arrested, taken into Jerusalem. And from about 2 in the morning till about 7.30, he went through six illegal trials. It was a sham. It was a mockery. But Jesus endured that for you and me. About 8 o'clock, he, uh, he was taken to the praetorium where he was beaten to about an inch of his life. You remember the cat of nine tails. 
nine leather strands with pieces of, of, of bone or, or metal or, or pottery on the end of each of those straps coming down on his flesh time and time again, just shredding his back. It's a wonder he even survived that. And then he was asked to carry his cross up to Golgotha. He wasn't able to do it. He didn't have the energy or the strength. And once on Calvary, they nailed him to a cross. And he was suspended on that cross from about 9 o'clock till about 3 o'clock. At noon, darkness came over the earth. 3 o'clock, he died. And before 6 o'clock, when no work could be done any further and Sabbath began, he was laid in the tomb. 6 o'clock, the Last Supper on Thursday. 6 o'clock, Friday night. He's dead and buried in a tomb. I like to think about that myself for my own personal preparation, just to come face to face again with what Jesus Christ endured for me. And we've used the stained glass window metaphor a little bit here the last few weeks to to just kind of cast the idea, you know, we want to be contemplative, we want to be meditative. Uh, you know, Easter Sunday is going to be glorious, and, and we're going to shout and scream and do backflips and, and just rejoice at what Jesus has done for us. But I think there are important times in life where it's good to be quiet and still and contemplative and meditative and just really internalize very deeply what Jesus Christ has endured for us because he loves us so very, very much. You know, we have uh, this very stained glass window that you see behind me right over in that corner of our facility, right on the other side of that wall is where our chapel uh, exists, and there's a stained glass window there that is featuring Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It used to be enclosed within our old chapel, and then we built a new chapel, and so now it's in the lobby of, uh, of the chapel, and uh, I don't know how many hours I've prayed and wept before, you know, that stained glass window through the years and thought often about what Jesus Christ must have felt in that moment when he was all alone, fully aware of what was about to happen, and anxious. He was fully man. He, he wept. He had anxiety. He understood what that was like. You know, stained glass featured in a cathedral or a temple or a church or what have you is there to beautify, you know, the facility for sure, but but they also are silent sermons in many cases, like the ones you see on the screen right here. The nativity, you see Jesus on the cross, carrying the cross. Silent sermons that give us pause as we think, we remember, we contemplate. Today is the final week of Lent. And for the last 40 days, we've been encouraged to prepare our heart by prayer and fasting and and almsgiving in anticipation of Resurrection Sunday. It's something we don't focus as much in our tradition, maybe some do, but, but I think it's a powerful thing to really focus in on what Christ has done, to be meditative, to be contemplative, to be reflective. You know, it's interesting that the early church didn't have the Bible, so they couldn't come together and read the, the text like we can today, but, but what they did is they had creeds like like the one we read last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 through 8. You know, ancient creeds that, that they, they, uh, they had, and, and that, of course, became Scripture. And the one we're going to look at here a little bit, hymns like Philippians chapter 2, 
And as the early church went on, they, they would develop other creeds like the Apostles' Creed we talked about last week and the Nicene Creed we're going to talk about this week, creedal statements that, that uh, walled in truth and walled out heresy. The Apostles' Creed that many churches recite every week even today was written to, to wall out the heresy of, of Gnosticism that denied the humanity of Jesus. And the one we're going to look at today, the Nicene Creed, uh, walled out the heresy of Arianism that denied the divinity of Christ. Both are vital to our understanding of what Christ did. Christ came fully God, fully man. He needed to die as man to pay for the sins of the world, but only God could ultimately pay for the sins of the world. He is the ultimate, fully, only God-man. The Nicene Creed speaks of Orthodox Christianity. I want you to read it out loud with me in one loud voice, everybody together. This is what we see as, as uh, something the early church has, has uh, safeguarded and focused on for many, many, many years. Let's read it out loud. Everybody join me. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, catholic, apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Every word, every phrase, every sentence, so, so important. And the early church would gather and they would repeat their creeds, and they would repeat their hymns, and they would share them together as they would gather, oftentimes in secret because of the great uh, oppression that, that was all around them. Living in the Roman Empire, for example, for the early church was very, very difficult, very oppressive, much persecution, and many uh, lost their lives for their faith. But they would gather together and they would focus on what they believed and what they knew to be true, that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, loved them so much that he came and he died and he paid for their sins as the perfect sacrifice, and that he rose from the dead, and they too one day would rise if they put their faith in him. Can you see a big amen to that? The cross is a central symbol of the Christian faith. It adorns many hospitals and churches, many wear it around their neck, mounted on the walls of many homes. We see it featured in paintings and all sorts of other art forms. It reminds us of what Christ endured and how much he loves us. We've been talking last Sunday, today, and Good Friday 
about the message of the cross, and I've shared this acrostic with you. We got started last week, and we're going to finish it up here today. The crucifixion shows God's love. The resurrection portrays God's power. The obedience describes Christ's mission. He was on a mission from God. S stands for sacrifice. It explains God's plan. There needed to be a perfect sacrifice, and only the God-man Jesus could be that. And ultimately, what he did on the cross was for my salvation. He came to meet my need because I was lost and hopeless, and so was all mankind. We couldn't pay for our own sin, and yet all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you are with us last week, you know we looked at C, crucifixion. It shows God's love. And we focused on a great scripture, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verses 18 to 25. And it's here that Paul says that the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who do not know Jesus as Savior. The cross is foolishness. But to those that are saved, Paul says, the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. God knew in his ultimate, infinite wisdom that the power of the cross, the love of Jesus on the cross would win the hearts and minds of man. Paul went on to say Jews look for signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Greek. But to all who are saved, it is the power and wisdom of God. The crucifixion shows God's power and his wisdom, but ultimately it shows his love. It was foolishness to people who are outside the faith because traitors and rebels were the ones that were put on a cross. I shared the illustration of Spartacus who in the Third Civil War uh, led a rebellion, and when that rebellion was put down, 6,000 rebels and traitors were crucified along the Appian Way. You could literally walk down the Appian Way and look to your left and your right 6,000 times and see people in anguish and pain crucified on a cross. And yet Jesus, the Savior of the Word, the Messiah, is crucified. It's foolishness. It's weakness. But to Almighty God, it is the wisdom and the power of God displayed. When I think of the cross, I think, what is my response? And I hope for all of us, it's supreme gratitude and devoted dedication to be the people that he wants us to be. I love this verse that you see on the screen. We make it our goal to please him because of how much he's loved us, because of all that he's done for us. We want to live for him and love uh, like him and lead others to him. We want to be devoted to him in all that within us. R stands for resurrection. It proves God's power. And we looked at the incredible chapter last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where we can spend several, uh, several months really kind of dissecting that incredible chapter. But we see Paul over and over again talking about the importance of the resurrection. And we see in the first few verses, he talked about how uh, it's a creedal statement. He said, Jesus Christ came, he died, and, and he rose from the dead. That is our creed. That's what we believe. That was a creedal statement. And then he also said it must be our conviction. He says, stand firm in it. Stand firm in that conviction. 
And then he went on in the next few uh, verses and he talked about how the resurrection is the linchpin of the Christian faith. It is the foundation of the Christian faith. For those who say, and there were those that said this, that, that the resurrection was not real, he said, you know, that's, that's baloney, that's just untrue. The resurrection is the linchpin of our faith. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then your faith is futile. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we don't have any hope that we will one day rise from the dead. Our hope in eternal life is that Jesus Christ came and died for the sins of the world, but he didn't stay in the tomb, amen? Three days later, he rose from the dead, so we too will one day rise. I was thinking a lot about that this past week. On uh, April the 22nd, I'll be leading a funeral service right here in uh, the BCA Worship Center, and I just want to encourage you to pray. Tyler Steffens was an Edmonds uh, police officer who was off-duty on vacation in Las Vegas and was stabbed to death, and his funeral will be here on April 22nd. Just a tragedy, tragedy of tragedies. And as I met with his family the other day, I mean, it was as brutal as you could imagine. And uh, it was wonderful in one sense to get reacquainted with the family. Tyler and his siblings attended our Rainbow Children's Center uh, back in the day. And, uh, you know, through the years, some of the family members have been baptized here. And, uh, you know, we just spent time talking about the hope we have in Christ and the comfort we have in Christ. And I invited them to join us on Easter and look forward to reaching out to them in the future after the funeral. But would you pray for their family? Would you pray for uh, those that are friends and connected? Play, pray for, uh, you know, always pray for our police force. But also remember this. I was talking to one of the chaplains about this horrific death. And he made a statement that I immediately glued on to. He said, you know, tragedies happen unannounced so often, it seems. It's so important that everybody has their heart prepared. Everybody's ready. Yesterday we heard about a football player who died in a tragic accident. And it's all over uh, the news. You know, just unexpected unannounced tragedies that happen. We need to have our hearts prepared. But the other thing is, the hope of the resurrection looms large in the heart of the believer. Because we know that this life isn't the only life. It's important, but it's small compared to eternity in heaven with the Lord. We have a lot to look forward to. If all we had to look forward to was this life, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, that would be pretty muted. But the fact is, we have this life, and there are joys, and there are pains, but the life to come is all about joy. It's all about victory. It's all about being with God forever and ever and ever. Amen? And as we walk through the challenges of this life, and many of you are having those right now, loved ones who have cancer, who are sick, who are going through tough things, we hold on to the hope that this life is not all there is. As I look at the atrocities happening in Ukraine, 
parents writing with felt markers on the back of their kids, in case they, the parents, die, this is where you need to take my child to their next of kin. Horrific. Hospitals being exploded. Missiles being sent with messages on there that are uh, atrocious. I think to myself, how broken is humankind? How broken is humanity? And then I realized the hope of the resurrection. We must work the works of him while there's still day and help as many people as possible come to know Christ as Savior. But this life isn't the end all, be all. There is a life to come. How many want to go to heaven someday? And we want to drag as many people with us as we possibly can. And Paul summarizes that in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15 where he says this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Keep your head down and keep working the works of the Lord. And that describes our church and it needs to describe our perseverance. O stands for obedience and it describes Christ's mission. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Earlier it says, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus Christ was fully God. He left the riches and the glory of heaven to walk in human sandals for the purpose of dying on a cross as a living sacrifice for you and me. He humbled himself and became obedient. He came to be crucified. He was destined to die. He was born to be buried in that tomb. The way of the cross was Christ's mission. From the very beginning, it was Christ's mission. He was obedient to what God has called him to do. Again, I think of this scene here of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here he is, he's all alone. And even more so when he finds all of his disciples are sleeping on the job. He is all alone, all alone. The weight of the world literally is on his back. He's aware of what's gonna happen. Crucifixion, everybody knew about that pain. The scourging, he understood what, that his back and his legs and his body was going to be filleted and torn. He understood that being suspended on a cross was the most brutal, excruciatingly painful experience anybody could ever imagine. The Romans meant it that way. They tried to make it as brutal as possible. They set out to make it as painful as possible. And with every breath, the pain was unbearable until you suffocated to death. He sweat drops of blood. And he prayed, Lord, if it be possible take this cup from me. If there's any other way, any other way, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. I will be obedient to the mission. You and I are his mission. Ponder, contemplate, meditate. Let that sink in again. And then Paul says, let this same mindset be in you that was in Christ Jesus 
You too are on a mission, he says to you and me. Obey God's will, further God's mission. Live, love, and lead like Jesus and help others find Christ. The first S stands for sacrifice. It explains God's plan. Notice in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The Old Testament sacrificial system was temporary and preparatory. It, it existed until Jesus came and it prepared people for Jesus. It, it atoned for the sins in a temporary manner and prepared the way for the perfect sacrifice. Whenever I think of these scriptures here in Hebrews, I can't help but think of John the Baptist baptizing at the Jordan River. All these people lined up to be baptized. You've seen the scenes and, and kind of have that picture in your mind. And then he looks up and he sees Jesus and the disciples coming. And what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God, right there, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. No longer the blood of bulls and goats and, and lambs, but Jesus, the perfect lamb, would be put on an altar and be sacrificed for the atonement, the sin, the redemption of the entire world. Let that sink in again today. Powerful, penetrating to think of his amazing love and sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 4 goes on to say, he set aside the first to establish the second. The first sacrificial system approach was temporary. Jesus came to institute the one and only, the better way. As the better high priest and the better priest, verse 12 says, when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There are multiple types of offerings in the Old Testament. Fellowship, grain, burnt offerings, sin offerings. But all of those were temporary and preparatory for Christ. Jesus is the better way, Hebrews says. He's the perfect way. Only Jesus, the Son of God, only Jesus, the Son of the living God, could atone for the sins of the world. Only God could pay for the sins of the world. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, or if you have in the past but kind of stepped away, straight away, may I encourage you to commit or recommit your life to Christ right here, right now, even in this moment, right where you're seated. Jesus, I commit my life to you. I want to follow you. And for all of us who have committed our life to him, may our prayer is, Lord, help me be, be more faithful and diligent. As I think today, Lord, of all you've done for me, your love compels me. I want to serve you. I want to follow you with all that's within me. The last S and the last point here is salvation. He came to meet my need. He came to meet my, had Jesus not come, there would be no hope for any of us. The blood of bulls and goats don't cut it. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, eternal death. We are separated from God, yet God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make a way, to be the way, to be our bridge. And I love how Paul puts it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, for Christ's love compels us. The very love of Christ going to the cross, dying for us, compels us. 
because we are convinced that one died for all. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. We don't live for ourselves, but we live for him who died for, for us. And he rose again. Verse 17, such a powerful scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When we come to faith in Christ, we are forgiven. We become new people. How many are thankful for that? Can you say amen to that? That is just powerful to think about. Our sin is in the past. Our, our mistakes and, and uh, uh, all the things that we've done in disobedience, that's part of the historical past. We are a new creation The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. You are forgiven, I am forgiven. Our past mistakes and errors are no longer held against us. And he has committed to us now the message of reconciliation. Notice how the passage begins to turn. Now that you're saved, now that you're reconciled to God, you need to help reconcile other people to God. You are my ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God, we're making appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We now need to take the message far and wide and help other people. We need to live, love, and lead like Jesus and build bridges to Christ. We are here for a purpose, and that purpose is to help more people find Jesus Christ as Savior. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Now, I preached a really full sermon last Sunday and I'm about to wrap up another full sermon, you know, about 30 minutes each. And we're going to do it again on Friday night But in two minutes, a little girl, age 10, says everything this long-winded preacher has said. And I want you to listen to her explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you hear it, you're going to say, why can't Rob preach that briefly? (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But in all sincerity, listen to this beautiful testimony and description of what it means to be a Christian. Let's watch. My name is Quinn. I am 10 years old. And why I wanted to be baptized is I want to publicly show why I'm Christian. I became a Christian when I was eight. And I was being mean to my siblings. We had a little bit of a fight. And then I just felt so horrible about it. And then one day it was just like, I should probably follow Jesus. Being a Christian means you know why Jesus died for you. You know who Jesus is, you believe, and you truly trust him. And you know that he loves you and he will never turn his back on you. Sin is the bad things we do. The consequences of sin is death. If we didn't have Jesus, there would be no way out. Um, But that's why believing in Jesus is very important. He died for us. And he was raised from the dead and he took all our sins even though we were sinners and we deserved to die. 
My favorite Bible verse is John 3.16. Um, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus had the choice to die for us. He chose to die for us because he loved us so much. And that's so powerful. Jesus died for you. He took your sins for you. Your debt is paid. What you did wrong is forgiven. You can, you can be free now. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. She shared a lot of wonderful things in just two minutes. What a powerful, powerful description of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I want you to take out your phone and uh, dial up this QR code that we're going to put on the screen right now. And uh, go ahead and just uh, capture a survey that uh, this will lead you to. And I want you to take this survey with me here today. This will help me as I prepare for next uh, Sunday, Easter, and, and all of the services. But my hope and prayer is that in response to our conversation last week and this week, especially on the way to the cross, that as we've pondered deeply, contemplated, meditated, and just been very, very thoughtful of all that Christ means to us, that, that it will provoke in us a next step. You know, what is the next step for us? How can we become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? And if you can't get your uh, uh, phone to work there, there's a... Uh, connection card in front of you. All of you watching online, it's there, there for you as well to activate this survey. But it asks questions like this, today I want to commit my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you check that box? The reason we played that right there is because that's the right answer. <laughs> I want to commit my life to Jesus. So boom, you just check that. Uh, but in all sincerity, in all sincerity, as you think through where you are in your spiritual journey, have you committed your life to Jesus? Or maybe you have in the past, but straight away, I encourage you, I, I invite you to recommit your life to Christ. I mean, the whole point Jesus came, died and rose from the dead, the whole point of what we're talking about is you and me and our commitment to him. What a sad thing not to be prepared. What a sad thing not to choose Jesus and make the most important decision in the history of the world, choosing to follow the Savior. I want to get water baptized. Maybe you have committed your life to the Lord but haven't yet taken that step. That would be a great one to check. Or maybe I want to grow in my faith through study classes and groups. Check that. We'll send you some information I know you'll find very helpful. I want to serve other people by joining a BCA volunteer team. You know, there are just so many ways that you can serve and be involved. And just like Jesus Christ came to serve, he wants us now to be like him and serve. Maybe you've struggled in finding your right fit. We want to help you with that. We really do. Or maybe this one, I'm new to BCA. I want to get more involved. You know, where do I start? And then there's an other box. You know, if you're, if you're online, if you, uh, if you hit that one, it opens up a place for you to write a response. Then there's some other question. What can we do to pray with you today? Et cetera, et cetera. 
My hope and prayer is that every single one of us, those that have been Christians for a long, long time, like myself, and others who are seeking Christ, trying to find their way to truth, that all of us will take a next step to commit to Christ or to go deeper in our faith, whatever the case may be. So would you fill that out? Would you complete that? If you can't activate it, go ahead and use that connection card, the written one in front of you. Drop in the black box as you leave. Before we close in prayer, I just want to remind us all, the crucifixion reminds us of God's love. The resurrection proves God's power. His obedience describes his mission. It's why he came. His sacrifice explains God's plan and his salvation on the cross meets my eternal need of being forgiven. Lord, we thank you today for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that it means to us so, so much. And I pray your blessing on everybody that's here, Lord. May we all take another step. May we all step forward, go deeper, go further in you. For those, Lord, that are committing or recommitting their life to you, I pray you'll wrap your arms of love around them and just let them know how joyful heaven is, how joyful you are with their newfound faith. For those of us that have known you for a while, as we take a step forward, God, I pray you'll continue to lead us into a deeper walk with you. God, we also pray for Easter Sunday, a time when many people will check out church either online or in person that maybe don't any other time of the year. I pray that you'll make yourself so real and near to each and every one. Be with our church family as we prepare for uh, a week and weekend of many, many services. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God will communicate through all that's done right to the heart of each person. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a closing song after which we'll be dismissed. As you stand and as we prepare to sing, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down. And we'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to come and stand in for someone who has a special request, we invite you to come. God bless you.